All right, well, welcome to uh, our summer series here at Emmanuel. We are uh, about four weeks deep into our study of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, if you have not been here, then I invite you to go back online and re-watch the last few weeks of our series because that'll catch you up with the, uh, with the kind of the story that's, that's unfolded as of now. What we are looking at is the, the comeback. We're looking at the, the exiles return back to Judah and to Jerusalem and we're paralleling our own lives when we are far from God and how we need a comeback of our own. We need to come back to what we know to be right and true and we've uh, kind of learned some lessons along the way kind of some of the things that they have done and some of the things they've done right and some of the things that didn't do very well. Uh, and, and maybe even kind of drawing some own, uh, kind of connect the dots in our own life. Last week we saw the temple sacrifices begin. This was a big deal. The altar of the Lord was rebuilt, and that's a, that's a monumental moment because for 70 years they were not able to worship the only way that they knew how. And so uh, when the altar was rebuilt and they were able to offer their sacrifices and worship returned back to Israel and back to Jerusalem, it was a big moment. We also saw the foundations of the temple being laid uh, and, and the response of the people to that. Some of them were super excited. Some of them were kind of looking back and going, well, what was what this new one's going to be compared to what the old one was is not really uh, measuring up. And, and the Bible says that there was such a cry that you could not distinguish one voice from the other, and it was heard from far away. And so uh, it was kind of this heartache and excitement all in the same breath. It's just a really neat moment in Scripture. Uh, and then we, we ended with the people, the enemies of God, the enemies of Judah, the guys who are already living there are surrounding uh, the area, uh, coming and offering their help, right? Like you, we want to worship and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the Israelites refused them. Uh, the Zerubbabel, the leader, and Jeshua, the, the priest, said, no, we're not going to have any hand in this. And so they refused them. And because they refused their help, those people then tried to frustrate the people of God and, and they tried to kind of stop and stall the process and even try to throw it off uh, off the hinge. And so this week what we're going to see is the story take a, uh, an interesting turn, one that I think will really um, kind of speak to us in the situations that we f face and kind of speak to us, I think, on a very deep level. So remember, last week, I guess the, the word that we could use to describe last week was momentum, right? We had momentum moving into what we felt like God was doing in, uh, in the lives of the returning Jews. The, the, the foundations were laid. Zerubbabel had already stood up against the opposition. You have no part with us is the words that he used. Uh, if we were to keep reading in Ezra chapter 4, the surrounding people issued a complaint. And so the only way they could do that is they wrote a letter to the king in Persia. Uh, the king has then since changed. It was Cyrus who allowed us to come back. Now uh, this, the, what you're going to see is there's going to be a few kings that kind of roll through here. And so they... they write a letter to the king of Persia and they, they sign it saying, listen, uh, we are your servants, the men of the trans-Euphrates. And that's just the area around the Euphrates River. Okay, so when you think about it like that, just think about the general region of where uh, Israel and Jerusalem is still even uh, located. It's just These are the men of that area. And they say things like, you should know that the Jews are rebuilding that wicked and rebellious city. And if they do rebuild, no more taxes, our tribute, our duty will be paid to you and the royal revenues will suffer. Basically, we're such good people, we're writing to let you know. And the king responds in, in like fashion with a letter and he says, issue an order for the men to stop. Stop. 
So if we're going to pick up reading, we're going to be in chapter 4 of Ezra, verse 23. And it says this, As soon as the copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read to Rahim and Shemshai, the secretary and their associates, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop. Thus, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill under the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. You can imagine these guys were all too excited to uh, relay the news from the king in Persia. It says, compelled them by force to stop. In other words, if you keep building, we will kill you. That's the, that's the message that they relayed to the men in Jerusalem. And you can almost hear the brakes of momentum squeeching or squelching to a halt, right? This is like all this good things are happening and then all of a sudden now we've just got to stop. We've been ordered to stop. We're being forced to stop. And really through no fault of their own, their own comeback story stops. I think a lot of us have been there, right? We've been rolling through obedience in our comeback. We've been doing what we feel like God's called us to do. We're living out what we believe. We maybe even feel like we're in a good spot. We can even see some of the fruit of our obedience back to God being evidenced in our life. And then through, through out of nowhere, through no fault of our own, something happens and all of that momentum just stops. Maybe, maybe you've been making a commitment to really kind of be in the Word and read and pray and study, and then all of a sudden you just get sick, and, and you just don't feel good, and you're drained, and, and, and the next thing you know, it's like three weeks later, and you're completely healed, but you've just never really started studying back. You just kind of stopped. Some of you are volunteering to help out in ministries and do things and work on Wednesday nights or be here on Sundays and, and, and teach Sunday school classes, and then the next thing you know, your schedule changes. Or maybe you go on vacation or there's a meeting that gets called and you've got you to lay out a week or two or three and then it's just kind of weird and awkward and so you just don't go back when you were, when you were rolling along so well and then it's something just kind of threw you off. Some of you could be praying with your spouse. I, I challenge you guys to do this on a, on a pretty regular basis. Pray with your spouse. Uh, maybe some of y'all are doing that and then, then that argument happens, you know, where you go to bed mad and you're like, I'm not praying for her. She can pray for herself tonight. And you just roll over and you just kind of you put the back to her, you know, and you think, I'm not praying with her tonight. She can do it herself. Or, uh, or you think, I'm not going to pray with them, but I'll pray for them. God, please help him not be an idiot. God, please help him listen and do the right thing, right? You pray prayers like that. Don't act like you don't because we all do, right? We, we maybe after the dust of that, uh, that argument settles, and it's maybe a couple of days or sometimes a couple of weeks. It's hopefully as far as it goes. It's just kind of weird to start back, and so you just don't, and you just kind of you kind of get into your new 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 normal and your new groove, and you just kind of keep going along. Every person that I talk to, every couple coming back from a riff in their relationship, or every church member coming wanting to dive deep into what God has for them, or uh, every really quote unquote comeback story has a bump in the road. And so my real eloquent way to say this to you this morning is expect the bump. Expect the bump. And I know you're thinking, Matt, last week you were so good. You gave us three points. They were alliterative. Everything just, this is just how God gave it to me. So this is how I'm giving it to you this week. Expect the bump. Expect there to be a bump in the road. 
Expect a testing of the genuineness of your comeback. Expect the attack of an enemy. Expect the questions and the looks and the rolled eyes. Expect for things to get difficult. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you to come back. He, he wants you to stay far off. And if you are in the middle of your comeback or if you're in the beginning parts of your comeback, you're going to experience a bump because if he can't pull your focus like last week or if he can't uh, make you fearful like last week or, or frustrate you like last week, then he's going to throw a bump in the road to do everything he can do to try to make you stop. I'll never forget they installed uh, a couple of speed bumps in our neighborhood. Not long ago, they've since removed one of them, but the other one was there. They did it overnight. I f- it felt like one day it was there, the next day it was not. I came back home at night, about 11 o'clock at night, and they had not painted the speed bump yellow. It was just this black bump in the road. And I was going a little faster than I should. And I hit that. I thought I was going to end up in somebody's living room, right? It was just this massive, like, oh my gosh, what just happened, right? We should expect in our comeback story this bump. And when we hit it, we shouldn't think, well, that was out of nowhere. We should think, yeah, that's what I thought. The devil's going to try to, 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 try to trip me up, try to get under my skin. We should be expecting a bump. The Israelites were fearlessly moving to what God wanted them to do. They knew, remember last week we talked about they, they were afraid of the people around them, but, but despite their fear, they still worshiped. And, and in, in full knowledge of everything that was going on around them, they should have been expecting a bump in the road, something to knock them off course. This letter from the king of Persia and his response to stop was a bump that they should have been expecting but they didn't and so they stop their momentum is gone the excitement I'm sure is just hushed and the work on the temple ceases look what happens next this is the very next verse Ezra chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet a descendant of Ido prophesied to the Jews in Judea and in Jerusalem in the name of the Lord the God of Israel who was over them Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Zodak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. But we just read that the king told them to stop, and the work on the temple stopped. And then these two prophets come out of nowhere, Haggai and Zechariah, and they do something, and now the leadership, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they, they start to work again. They kind of get back at it. What happened? What did they say? What did they do? What changed their mind from one verse, everything stops, to two verses later, everything's back on? Well, thankfully, we have books of the Bible written by Haggai and Zechariah, right? We can look, we can read with our own eyes what exactly they said. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Haggai, Haggai chapter 1. This is at the end of your Old Testament. Think about Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, the last three books of the Old Testament. Uh, we're, we're in book number three away from that. We're not going to look at the message of Zechariah uh, today just because Zechariah has a lot of end times references. He has a lot of, um, sort of um, what would we say, that's a lot of alliterated uh, things, some metaphorical things through that. But Haggai speaks some really hard, good truth. Look what he says. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 is really his introduction. We'll skip that. Uh, verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your own paneled houses while the house, while this house remains a ruin? This statement by God through Haggai is meant to hurt. These people say, you could put those in quotation marks, are not the enemies of Judah. These are not the people who are writing letters to the king of Persia. These are the Jews themselves. He's saying, y'all think this isn't important? Y'all think it's okay for the church to lie in ruin while you just keep on building your own houses bigger and better? Y'all just keep living your own life however you want, neglecting the fact that I'm the reason you're here? Right? We all know that. We understand that the only reason why the exiles were allowed to come back is because God orchestrated it himself. He allowed their comeback. And now that they're back, they're just going to stop working on the temple? They're just going to give up when things get hard, when there's resistance that meets them. They're going to throw their hands in the air and say, oh, we'll stop. We'll, we'll just give up. Let's pull some parallel here. All right, first, because many of us, Many of us, church is important, right? It's, I mean, you're here. I can't, it's like preaching to the choir, right? You're here, either you're here in person or you're watching online one way or the other. Church is somewhat important to you or you would not be here or you would not be watching. But I wonder how many of us are fine being consumers of the church and not contributors to the church. How many of us come because it's important, but that's it? That's all we do. Maybe we drop our kids off on Wednesday nights or we sign them up to go to camp for a week or maybe we occasionally even attend a small group or a Bible study ourselves. But when commitment gets deeper, maybe we could use the word harder, maybe it's time to serve the church or it's, uh, it's time to teach a class or serve the community or, or clean up on a work weekend or, or, or serve on a committee or serve as a deacon or volunteer in a ministry. We just pass right? We can come up with a thousand different excuses of why we can't at the moment because our schedule's so much or we've got too much on our plate or we've got so many other things going on or we use the excuse of I've already done my time. I don't even know what that means. I've already done my time. I've already served my time. Or we try to over-spiritualize our disobedience and say, I'm just trying to give someone else the opportunity to serve. All the while we are Contributing to a culture of consumption in the church. or consuming the benefits of the church without contributing to its health and well-being. And can I just say it like this, church? If we continue in that model, church as we know it will cease. It will stop. Not the church. The Bible's quick to tell us that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? The church will continue, but church as we know it, as a healthy, life-giving church, a church full of uh, young kids who are, who are ministering to babies, to uh, the elderly, who are, uh, who are teaching sound doctrine and, and, and making sure people understand what it is and how to live it and not just teach it, but how to apply it, all those things, that kind of church will cease if we are just consumers and not contributors. 
You guys seen the challenge online? I, I want you guys to go home and text me a video of this. There's a challenge online where you, you put a glass with a straw in it underneath the water dispenser in your refrigerator. And you try to drink out the water faster than the water is being put in by the machine. Uh, and, and inevitably, everybody loses, so you time it, right? Because your body can only gulp down like three or four big drinks before it just makes itself stop. It's a natural reaction. So eventually, the cup will overflow and everybody loses. What's happening to the church is just the opposite of that. We are pulling out resources faster than we are putting them in. We are consuming the blessings of the church without contributing to the work of the church. And if we continue in that model... The churches, we know it will stop. It will cease to exist. And I know many of you are saying, Matt, that's not true. Anything you need done around here, we'll get, all you got to do is just say it, and it'll get done. And I, I agree with that statement, and I disagree with it. I agree because we have a wonderful, healthy church. I'm not coming down on you. That's not what it's meant to be. I can ask you guys and have asked you guys to move mountains, and you've done it. You've been obedient to whatever God's calling you to and what God is calling us as a church to. And it's evidenced in when we ask for help, you guys step up and get things done. But I'll disagree with that statement because what happens is about 90% of the time, the same people over and over and over again are serving in the same areas. New people occasionally come in. Every once in a while, someone who hasn't will but for the most part, the same people are serving over and over. And you know what happens to them? They get burnt out. They get tired. I remember talking uh, to Mr. Charles O'Neill, who taught Sunday school here for like 200 years. Miss Shirley Ashcraft, who taught Sunday school here for 205 years, right? There are just there are people who have just been serving and serving. And we go, oh, oh, we don't want to take it away from them when God's calling us to do something new. And we should be contributing to the life of the church. Listen, when needs arise and God moves, our responsibility is to say yes. But too often, we pull back and we say no. And notice I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about contributing to the building up of God's house. And on the surface, message from Haggai seems harsh, right? How dare you live in your own houses while my house lives in ruin? It almost feels like Haggai's coming with some thunder and going, how dare you? We just saw, right, if we look back in the story in, in Ezra, we just saw the temple foundations be laid. We had all this movement and momentum. We had the altar being rebuilt and worship returned. And we just celebrated the festival of booths, right? We talked about that last week. And yeah, some people struggled with the new temple versus the old temple. But, but there's opposition now, right? There's this bump in the road. There's this letter and this force to stop. Like we should cut these people some slack until you realize that the foundation was laid two years after their return. When the exiles came back, remember it said that they went to their own hometowns and they settled. They kind of got their stuff in order. They got their fields. They, kinda, they built their houses. They had to do what they had to do. They settled. Two years later, they come to Jerusalem and they, they laid the foundation of the temple. But at this point, when Haggai comes onto the scene... And begins to prophesy the Israelites have been back in Judah for 20 years. 20 years. They stopped for almost 18 years between the end of one chapter in Ezra and the beginning 
of another. They've settled on a new level, right? They've kind of moved into their new normal. They just kind of live life. They do what's easy. They establish for themselves and their security and their needs and their routines and their priorities. And yes, God got them there, but he'll understand, right? He, he, he's the one who orchestrated the return, but he understands. We were told to stop. We just have to stop. We'll get to that when we have time. Sometimes the message of Haggai hits us a little closer than we want it to. Where for years we've just settled and not done what we know God's called us to do. Haggai verse 5 chapter 1 says, This is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. If you have a King James Version Bible, it may say, Consider your ways. This literally translates... Uh, examine on the deepest level in your heart your path, your journey, your direction. Those are all words that we've used to describe your comeback. So for our purposes this morning, give careful thought to your comeback. God, through Haggai, is simply reminding them, think about why you're here. Think about what should be most important. Really think about how you're living and what's getting your best. Give careful thought to your ways. Church, think about your comeback. Think about the forgiveness and grace that you've experienced. Think about the cross and the cost of your salvation and really how how living and how you're living And what's getting your best, when we owe everything to God, why would we not give him everything that we have? Give careful thought to your comeback. Let me just pause here because it has to be said. I'm not saying if you don't teach a Sunday school class, you're a horrible, rotten person. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying if you are given the opportunity to work, or to serve, or to give, or to prioritize, how could we not take it? How could we let there be a need that we are unwilling to fill? God says in verse 5, give careful thought to your ways. And then he describes their lives in verse 6. He says it like this, you have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Now, if you read commentaries about this verse, you're going to get a couple of different uh, perspectives and interpretations of what this means. Some of it say this is as literal as it gets, right? They, they didn't have much in turn. They didn't have much to eat or drink. They, they were poor. They couldn't afford much. The little earnings they had because food was scarce, inflation was so high, they couldn't afford to buy very much. Other commentaries say that this is a metaphor for their lives. It's probably rooted in some reality, but it's meant to be allegorical in its interpretation, right? Did they have food? Yeah, probably, but not a lot. Not an overabundance. Did they have clothes? Well, yeah, they had clothes, but probably not the best. Did they earn money? Well, sure, they earned some, but maybe they weren't spending it on the right things. What I hear from these verses 
and the Matt overall unofficial commentary is this. There was an emptiness in them. You know, as settled as they were, there was just something that no matter what they were doing still wasn't settled. Y'all felt like that before? I have. Felt like that things can be generally good, like you're, you're, there's really nothing to complain about. Kids are healthy, marriage is healthy, you know, you got enough money to make all your bills and finances are okay, life is moving along, but, but there's just something missing, something that's unsettled. And can I just say it like this, church? Maybe, maybe what's missing is that complete surrender to what God has for you. Maybe what's missing is that full obedience to what he's calling you to. Maybe what's missing is that thing that you've been ignoring for a long time that you know that God's speaking, right? Our theme verse for 2022 is Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. When we live our life with that kind of focus, with him first focus, all those other feelings are going to come settling in, right? This, this feeling of unsettledness will go away when we really seek out what God has for us. Those missing parts, those empty parts within us start to feel filled up. And you kind of have this peace that comes along with it. If we were to keep reading in Haggai, it talks about how Zerubbabel, the governor, and Jeshua, the priest, right? These are the Jewish leaders. They obeyed the voice of the Lord and the message of the prophet. And Haggai gives them one more message. It's very simple. But I think it's one that we have to hear this morning. Haggai chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord. To the people, I am with you, says the Lord. I'm with you. Verse 14 then says that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Jeshua, and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. They needed to hear that God was with them. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of that simple truth He's with us. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joshua 1, 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, The Lord your God is in your midst. Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Psalm 23, 4, we all know this one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you over and over and over again in Scripture? It's trying to remind us that God is with us. And when we really realize that, it drives our obedience. It drives our action. It drives our devotion. This was the change that happened in Ezra between chapter 4 and chapter 5. This was the stop building, start building moment. He is with us. Hey God, God has a mission, message for you guys. I'm with you. That's all they needed to hear. 
That's all they needed to know from, from not working on the temple to working no matter the obstacles, from settling to moving, from years of complacency to a mindset of action, from consuming the blessings of God to contributing to the work of God. He is with us. Church, I believe some of us just need to be reminded of that. When you feel like whatever God's calling you to, you can't do. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I shouldn't be able to serve in this. I'm with you. Okay, God. If you're with me, then I can do whatever I'm supposed to do. He is with us. Changes everything. It's literally the name of our church. Emmanuel. God with us. So here's my last thought, and it's a long one. I promise it's worth it, okay? Go back to Ezra. Uh, go back to Ezra chapter. So chapter 5 is the letter writing. We won't read all that. I know you are thinking we're supposed to be in Ezra this whole time, and we spent all morning in Haggai. Remember, the enemies of Israel wrote a letter to the king of Persia saying stop. They compelled them by force to stop. Haggai and Zechariah come on the scene and say God is with you and they begin to rebuild again. So the enemies write another letter. That's all they know to do. The cliff notes of this letter is that we asked them to stop and they wouldn't. We asked them their names they wouldn't give it to us. And they asked them by what authority do you have to do this? And they said that Cyrus King of Persia says that they can rebuild this temple. Hey, king, will you please check and make sure they're not lying to us? Let us know what to do. P.S. We love you, king of the trans-Euphrates. I don't know if that last part was in there. Ezra chapter 6, verse 1. King Darius issued an order. And they searched in the archives stored in the treasury at Babylon. A scroll was found in the citadel of Ecbatania, in the province of Media. And this was written on it. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifices and let its foundations be laid. It goes on to give the measurements of the temple and to say things like all the stuff that Nebuchadnezzar took, give back. They found a copy of the Cyrus decree that we talked about in week one of this entire study. In Ecbatania, which is incredible, and, and the history lover in me just has to walk you through this because when you see this, you go, of course, right? If you look up Ecbatania online, Ecbatania is the ancient city where modern-day Hamadaran Iran is. That's a big mouthful, but that's where the modern-day city is. They can trace it all the way back to the ancient city of Ecbatania. It was the capital city of Media, which was one of the Persian empires. And historically, was the summer residence of the Echmedian kings. I read that and I thought, who cares? Right? Who are the Echmedian kings? Well, if you look up the Echmedian kings, Echmedian means relating to the dynasty ruling in Persia from Cyrus I to Darius III. Ecbatania was Cyrus's summer vacation home. Is that not incredible? Of course they found the Cyrus decree copy there because Cyrus went there. 
He was there on a regular basis. This is scripture telling us a name of an ancient city and history going, oh yeah, that's where he would have been. That totally makes sense for that to be in the Bible. Again, another point that this is not just some made up story. This is not some fairy tale. This is actually what happened throughout history. Now what happens next is awesome to say the least. Verse 8, Ezra chapter 6. Darius essentially says, yes, they have permission to do what they're doing. And moreover, I hereby decree what you, remember he's writing the governors of the trans-Euphrates, the enemies of Judah, I decree what you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of their house of God. The expenses of these men are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates, so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs, for goat, for burnt offerings of the God of heaven, in wheat, salt, wine, and oil, as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, must be given them daily without fail, so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. Did you catch that? The ones who were trying to stop what God was doing had to pay for what God was doing. <laughs> awesome. I read that and I go, oh man, I love that. That's so good. It says daily without fail, you have to pay for this. You're going to write the letter and complain about it, then you're the one that's going to have to pay for it. Listen, it goes on to say, if anyone tries to change this edict, okay, if, if you go and you try to stop them again, the Bible says that a pole will be removed from your house and you will be impaled on it. Yeah. Yeah. You read that and you go, what? The Bible says that the, the governors of the trans-Euphrates received this letter and they um, carry it out with diligence is the words that the Bible uses. With diligence is verse 13 in Ezra chapter 6. Verse 14 and 15 of Ezra chapter 6, it says this, they finished building the temple of God. This is incredible. Finally, after 20 years, the temple is back. Finally, after all the bumps in the road and all the opposition they were met with, God says, I'm going to show you one even better. Not only did I orchestrate your return, but I also orchestrates the details of my return. So what's our lesson here? We're going to be done. I think I've got it on the screen. It just says this, whatever God has called you to do, don't be distracted by the enemies. Do it. He is with you. Because if we settle for being unsettled, then we never get to see the fullness of God displayed in our life. If we just settle in that awkward, unsettled, knowing that there's something more, but we're just unwilling to do it, then we never get to see the fullness of God displayed in our lives. I believe wholeheartedly that God is calling Emmanuel Church to something big. It's coming. I, I believe it with all of my heart. When I, when I became your pastor in 2016, that seems like forever ago, 2016, uh, it was a transition year for us. I, I took over in Easter. In January of 2017, I started seminary. For two years, I was in seminary, and it was... Uh, interesting to say the least. It was, uh, it was a lot 
church was rolling with momentum. People were joining, and, and we were baptizing folks. We were baptizing about 50 folks a year, which is incredible. Our budget was strong. God was doing some incredible things, and then COVID happens. And you guys continue to be faithful through COVID. I talked to pastors upon pastors who, who, were, who were really struggling. And I was like, our church is not struggling, man. People are really, they're in, they're, 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 we're doing things different, but they're totally behind it. We're doing really well. COVID's kind of hung around, and now we're on the brink of what I feel like is the next major movement of God in our church. And if we just settle in that, oh, well, guess, guess we'll see. I don't, I don't really know. I'm just going to keep doing my same old thing. We're never going to see God move. In our own personal lives, in our own personal families, God's trying to do the same thing. I, I truly believe wholeheartedly that the next six months of the life in our families and the church and the, and the church as a whole, God's going to be doing some incredible things. And if we just settle for that unsettled moment, if we don't just obey and do, we're never going to see God do what only he can do. Are your enemies going to come pay your bills? I don't think so. It'd be awesome if they did. right? Call me if that happens. I want to know. But I, I feel like we're going to sit back and go, wow, look how God worked all this out. And that's something we couldn't have ever imagined. That's something we could have never done ourselves. Don't settle. He is with us. You stand. Ruth's going to play. We're going to have a moment of invitation. Uh, we're, we're not going to sing anything. We're just going to have her play over us. This is a moment for you to respond to what God is doing, maybe in your own family or in your own heart or in your own commitment to not be a consumer but to be a contributor, whatever it is. This is your opportunity to respond to what God's taught you today. Don't pass up this opportunity because he is with us. Some of us just need to come and say, oh, listen, God, I'm sorry for not doing, for, for being complacent, for settling too long. Others say, this is what I know I'm supposed to do. I just haven't stepped out and done it. Whatever it is, this is your opportunity to respond to that. If you have questions for me, I'd love to talk to you, pray with you. If you just need to come and pray at the altar, this is your chance to do that. Don't miss an opportunity to respond. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. and We thank you for what you're doing in our church and in our lives. And God, we understand that we are on the precipice of something that's big, I believe that. I believe that you are working incredible ways in our church and in our lives. And God, we just ask to be obedient to whatever you're calling us to. Some of us this morning have been holding back. Some of us this morning have settled for too long. God, forgive us for that. Remind us that you are with us and that whatever you're calling us to, we can do. Because it's not in our strength that we do, it's in yours. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that needs to ask questions about who God really is and why he would ever even care if we came back or not, God, I'd love to talk to them about it. There's a number of different other people here that would love to talk to them about it. But God, I think maybe for some of us, we just recognize some bumps in the road and how we've been thrown off track by things that we probably should have expected from the beginning. God, help us not to give up when we reach that bump and help us to get right back to our comeback. God, we love you. Be real with us in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to you have your head down, your eyes closed. Just a moment of response. We won't last long here, but if you need to come and pray or you need to come talk, you come.